is the world. We say, like this song says, even so, it is well with my soul. In life or in death, it is well with our souls. Uh, you guys can be seated as we've as we got one more song for you today. We'll, we'll sing, and you guys can actually follow along on the screens. Uh, we'll sing on that, on that same note of, of Christ's return. We'll sing Glorious Day. You guys can sing along with us if you want. Stay. 
those who look back to the, to the glorious day of, of Christ on this earth and look forward to the return of Christ uh, coming back for his people one day. Let's go ahead and take a few minutes of, of fellowship before we get to the, uh, get to the sermon. Thank you. 
All right, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, and we come to the end of Jesus' teachings on, the second, on His second, second coming. And it's not just the end of Matthew 25. As we get to the end of Matthew 25, we come to the end of all things. We've been kind of building up to that. They asked Jesus about his return and about the end of all things. And now we come to the end of all things. Here in this, this, this last little section, we have the end of life. We have the end of history. Here is the end, how everything will end. And as we get to the end, you're going to find in this passage, verses 31 to 46, that we have judgment. This here in this little section is a powerful description of the great day of judgment. So that's the title of the sermon today, The Great Day of Judgment. And I know that this isn't popular to preach on judgment. You, you put this out there and not many people want to hear this. But I think we must preach the judgment of God. I think it is a comfort to believers that we have a, a God who's going to make all things right. That's judgment. That God, We have a just God. And I think this is an alarming thing for unbelievers. That God is going to come back and He's going to make things right. So there's a comfort here and there's an, a, an alarm for unbelievers that it wakes them up. Uh, Jonathan Edwards during the Great Awakening preached the judgment of God and it was an, an awakening, awakening event for unbelievers. So we must preach the judgment of God. So here we have today again the great day of judgment. Let's stand together. I'm not going to preach the whole passage. You guys can relax on that. That's a lot of verses to cover today. We'll do some today and some tomorrow and who knows, or it's next Sunday. Uh, who knows, we may do it a few more Sundays, I don't know. But I want to read the whole passage. I want to set this before you. We'll focus our attention today on verses 31 and 32. But the Word of God says, Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me, I was sick, and you visited me, I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered? And fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, and in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, As much as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. This is the great day of judgment, and we need to see this and understand it. So let's pray together and we'll look at these verses. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that as we preach this today, that, that it would be done in a way that would honor you. I know this is a difficult subject, and I pray that you'd help me to have the right tone about this. Uh, that this is something that we need to hear And for the unbelievers here today, and there's no doubt someone in here who's an unbeliever, 
I pray that you'd use your judgment as an alarm to go off in their soul. That they need to get right before the final day. And God, I pray it would be a comfort to believers here. I pray that every one of us could be comforted in a world that's gone wrong, that's gone mad, that's in chaos, where everything is flipped upside down, where right is wrong and wrong is right. Light is dark and dark is light. That we can look forward to the day when Christ will return and make all things right. What a comfort that is. It won't always be like this. So God, teach us from this passage. Let it be a passage that will um, inform our minds and that will stir our hearts and that will draw our wheels to obey you. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One of my favorite theologians, uh, R.C. Sproul, today's his birthday, and I didn't plan this. I didn't know it was going to be his birthday. He passed away a couple years ago. But I found a great quote by him this week, and I want to start out with that. R.C. Sproul said, uh, if you can find anything by R.C. Sproul, read it. He's, he's a great author, great preacher, great theologian. And he said this, Modern man is betting his eternal destiny that there will be no final judgment. And I think that's the truth. I think that's how we live today. I think judgment is one of the most hated words in our vocabulary. I know that most people see the word judgment and they, they hate the idea of judgment today, of it now. The most popular phrase in our culture is uh, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, people do, do not like to be told they're right or they're wrong. That uh, They don't like to be corrected in any way. They want to say to affirm me, don't judge me. That is how we, our culture lives today. They do not want to hear any judgment whatsoever at all. Actually, the main reason people don't like to come to most churches is they feel that when they walk in, they're going to be judged. They hate the word judgment or, or, to, or to be judged. And that's not just right now. That's, that's in the future. They don't want to hear uh, about being judged now or, or corrected now or you're, you're wrong now. They, they don't want to feel like there's going to be any consequences for their life in the future. They want to be able to live how they want to live and do what they want to do with absolutely zero consequences at all. They will never answer for their actions. So we live in a culture who doesn't want to be told they're wrong now and, and, and feels like they'll never be judged in the future for being wrong. So they're betting their entire eternity that there will be no judgment in the final day. And I say this, that's a tragically fatal bet to make. Because the Bible says very clearly, and this isn't popular, but there will be a final judgment in the last day. And every single one of us will stand in judgment before God. No one escapes it. I don't care how old you are or young you are. I don't care how rich or poor you are. Every single person in this room and who's ever lived will stand judgment before God in the final day. Steve Lawson said this, looming on the horizon of eternity, there's coming a final day of judgment. The world is spiraling through space on a collision course with its final day of reckoning. The day of wrath is coming. That's what Romans calls it, the day of wrath. Jude calls it the judgment of the great day. Jesus calls it here the sheep goat judgment. This is the great day of judgment. Jesus has been preaching on the end. We started this back in September in Matthew 24. And, and He was asked in verse 3, When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the world? They asked that question. They had no idea that He would go on for two chapters telling them about the, His second coming and the end. But He's went on and, he, and He's started and, he, and He's taught it. And now, at the end of Matthew 25, we've come to the end. This is the final page. This is the last words Jesus tells us on the end. 
This is where it's all headed. It's building to this climactic end. You can almost feel it as we've went through this. It's building and it's building and it's building. And now we've arrived at judgment. It's the judgment day. This is what He's been telling us we need to be ready for. This is what He said we need to be on watch for. This is what He said we need to be alert for. This is what we must preach. Because you can deny it and people do deny that there will be judgment. You can doubt it. You can bet it won't happen. You can trifle with it and and try to wait around and say, I'll get right, right before it happens. But there is no doubt whatsoever in any of our minds that there will be a final day of judgment. Everybody knows it. Everybody understands it. And we need to be ready for it. So today I want to show you. I want to set the stage. We're not going to get into the entirety of the passage. But I want to set the stage for the great day of God's judgment. So we're going to look at just verses 31 and 32, and we'll move on from from this next week. But I want to start with the the great day of judgment, setting the stage for it. I want to show you number one. And again, we're just going to focus our attention like like a laser beam on verses 31 and 32. I want your eyes to be there. I want you to keep your finger right there. These are important verses as we see the coming day of judgment. Number one, I want to show you the return of Christ, starting in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man shall come. And I'm going to stop right there. We're going to take it phrase by phrase and even word by word as we go through this. Because it says in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come. That's a title that he uses. And I love the title Son of Man. It's important there. I've underlined it. I've highlighted it. He's talking about himself. He's using his favorite title. 88 times in the Gospel, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He loved that title. He said that title more than anything else in in his entire ministry. He called himself the Son of Man. You say, why did he do that? I think it was to identify with man. He didn't go around saying he was the Son of God, although he is. He went around saying, I'm the Son of Man. I'm identifying as a man. I I am uh, truly God, but I'm also truly man. And he, and he came, this is his name of, of incarnation that, that identifies with us that he has come down, he's stooped down, he's, he's lowly, he's a servant, he's on our level, he's lowly, he's the son of man. This is the son of man who had no place to lay his head. This is the son of man who was despised, rejected, was persecuted, was denied, reviled, mocked, spit on. This is a term of the lowest of lows for Jesus, the son of man. This describes his entire first coming. His first coming, if you described it with one word, it would be humility. That he came as a lamb, as a savior to make atonement. That he came to die. That he came to be judged on the cross for our sin. That he came as meek and and lowly. He came that we might have life. Again, the, the, the one word to describe his first coming would be humility or even humiliation. This is his title of his first coming, the the Son of Man. All that's wrapped up in everything that he did for 33 years is in that term, Son of Man. I'm with you. I have come down. I've I've heard your cry. I've, I've came to save you. No one else is coming to save. Jesus came to save. That's the first coming. And then he tells us the second coming. When the Son of Man shall come. And this time it won't be in humility. The second time he comes, it will be in glory. It says verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. So you see there, both aspects. The Son of Man is his humility and the, the glory is his glory. 
He's coming back. And, and that's one of His central promises. He is coming back. Just like the, the previous parables of the, the bridegroom coming again and the, the master coming to check on the, the servants. Now Jesus is saying, I'm coming back in glory. And it won't be like the first time. His second coming, when He comes back, it says that He's coming in glory. I, I, I like this. You can, you can look up the word, follow the word. The first time He had veiled glory. That in the incarnation, the flesh kept the glory from shining out so everybody could see who He is. The one time in the Mount of Transfiguration where He had unveiled glory and the disciples saw it. John 1 says we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten. The second time He's not coming in veiled glory, He'll be coming in unveiled glory. It'll be unveiled, unrestrained, unhindered, unmitigated glory. He will light up the sky. Every eye will see Him in His entire fullness. He will light up the sky like 10,000 suns. He's not coming in veiled glory. He's coming in unveiled glory. Where the world will see it. And I was even talking about it on Wednesday night. And I didn't plan this. But Moses said to God, let me see Your glory. I want to see the fullness of who You are. I don't want anything hidden. And God said, I'll put you behind the cleft of the rock because no man shall see the fullness of who I am and live. And he hid him behind the rock and he put his hand over him and only let him see the backside as he, as he passed by. And Moses saw just a little bit of the glory of God and came down from that mountain with, with, with white hair and a, and a white beard with his face was like sunburned just from a glimpse of the glory of Almighty God. And Jesus says here, I'm coming again and I'm not coming in unveiled glory where you won't see the, the fullness of who I am. But when He steps down into the sky, it'll be unveiled glory. All the world will see it. Every eye. I, I can show it to you. Matthew 24. Look, let's just turn over there. Verse 30. This is the next time you see Him. And the, then shall appear the sign. Verse 30. Of the Son of Man in heaven. I want to go back to verse 29. <laughs> Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon won't give her light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heaven will be shaken. It will be lights out in the world. And then stepping down in verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great mega glory. Out of this world glory, the lights will be out and Jesus will step down and it will light up the entire world. You won't have to get on TV or on the internet to say, let me see if I can see the Jesus in the sky. You'll step out from your house and you'll see Jesus in the sky. Every eye will see Him. First time He was rejected. Second time He's coming back in glory. And it says here, let me keep going back to Matthew 25. That he's not just coming, he's not coming alone, he's coming with all the holy angels with him. You see that? He won't be by himself. The first time he said on the cross, I could call down 10,000 angels if I wanted to. But instead of doing that, he died on the cross for our sins. But when he returns, he's coming with a heavenly host. And it doesn't say, I, I, I found this interesting. It says, how many angels are coming with him? All, you get that? How many angels are there? there it says in, in the Bible that, that the angels are 10,000 times 10,000 angels, which is, that's as high as a number as they can go in the Greek. So it's infinity times infinity that there are more angels than our minds could calculate. 
And Jesus is coming back with how many of those angels? Is He leaving some up there to just keep an eye on the place? He's coming down with all the angels. I even think that He's coming back with all the saints. He's coming back with with an army. He's coming. It's going to be glorious. And verse 34 says He's coming back. And I'll move on. This is when Jesus returns. Verse 34, he says, and then shall the king say unto them. You see that? I would underline the word king. I'm not going to preach that verse today, but I, I, he, he, he goes from the son of man is coming back to the calling himself the king. 88 times he called himself the son of man. Do you want to know up to this point how many times Jesus has called himself a king? And now he says things are going to change when I'm coming back. Son of man will be king. I love that. The Son of Man is common name. The King is His royal name. This is a huge statement. Think about that. He, he is calling Himself the King of the universe. C.S. Lewis would say with a statement like that, He's either crazy or He's right. And you can't have anywhere in the middle. He's either God or He's not. I'm coming back as King of the world, King of the universe, sovereign over everything. And it didn't look like it. At that moment, he's on the Mount of Olives with the twelve disciples. The cross is looming ahead. It looks bad. And he says, Son of Man in humility. And he looks at his disciples and he says, But it won't always be like this. I'm coming back. And I know it looks bad now. And you're sad now. And the world's rejected me now. And it's just me and, and you guys. But one day, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back in glory as the King of the universe. I'd say that put a little stir in their heart, don't you? Right now, it may look bad for the church. In China, they're imprisoning preachers. In, in Canada, they're shutting down churches. Here, they're, they're kicking us out of every public square. But one day, Jesus is coming back as king over it all. Amen. He'll make it right. The first three parables were vague. Master, groom. <laughs> this, this one, the king is coming back. As clear as it can be. That's good news. That's our hope. And that should be alarming for anybody who's not bowed the knee to him. Jesus will return as sovereign over the entire universe. So that is, again, the return of Christ. Second, I want to show you, and this just goes in order, the reign of Christ. What's it going to be like when he returns? We've just got him in the sky right now. He's coming with, with angels in his glory as, as king. And now he's coming to reign. Look what it says. And really, I'm just going to preach one word right here. And all the angels with him. Then shall he do this. Watch this. Sit upon the throne. And it's not just a throne, but a throne of glory. The word glory there would be the throne of brightness and, and splendor. It's not just a, a little throne. It's a, it's a big throne. He's coming. Get this. He's coming to sit on a throne. The throne is, and I, I just... Looked it up in the dictionary. What's a throne? Place to see it. <laughs> it's a seat of authority. It's where kings sit. When I go home and I sit in my recliner, Steph doesn't call it a throne. It's a place where Josh sits. I'm a common man. When the queen sits in Buckingham Palace, she sits on a throne. That's where royalty sits. It's a place of kingly power and authority and sovereignty. Johnny showed us in Sunday school this morning the throne 
of a pharaoh. Gold overlaid with all these symbols and different things where a man of power would sit. Says he's going to sit on a throne. So when Jesus comes back, he's going to sit on this glorious throne. And it's again, it's not normal. This is not the chair in the Oval Office. This is even more glorious than than the, the Queen of England's throne. This is a throne that's out of this world. You say, what throne is this? Where's this chair at? Where is he going to sit? I'm glad you asked that question because it's not the throne in heaven. He's leaving heaven. He's not. Hey, I, I say there is a throne in heaven right now, and, and the Bible says that he's and he's seated on a throne in heaven right now. That he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God on high right now. I think it's Hebrews twelve that says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is right now set down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. He ascended. He's seated. He is at the highest place that heaven can offer right now. Jesus is currently on his heavenly throne. We love that." That's the sovereignty of God over all things. That's what I rest my head on when I go to bed every single night. This world is out of control, but I know one who's on his throne. So that's the throne of God in heaven. I want to look at the time and see if I've got time to take you to Revelation 4. I don't. Turn to Revelation 4. <laughs> my plan is, I put in here question mark. Because I would like to read to you Two chapters. <laughs> Revelation 4. This is a picture of heaven. This is before they get into the end times in, in Revelation. I'm just showing you what throne it's not. <laughs> it says, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. You see that? First, the, and the first verse which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me. Which said, come up hither. I'll show you things which must be hereafter. And I immediately, immediately I was in the spirit and behold. A throne was set in heaven. And one set on the throne. And I have underlined every time it has thrown in chapter 4. Picture of heaven. This is, what, this is what heaven's like now. Watch this. Verse 3. And, and he that set was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rain, rainbow round about the throne and the sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before, verse 6, the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. I mean, I don't have time to go on and on, but look at verse 8. I keep reading it like, yeah, I do. And four beasts which had which of them six wings about them. They were full of eyes within. And they never ceased saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Yes. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him, who is it that sits on the throne who lives forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? He never gets off that throne. All of our leaders die, pass away. We change leaders. The throne is, is, is empty and we have to get a new one. This throne is never empty. I, I could go on. Verse 1 of chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne. I mean, you guys can read that later. It just keeps on going. Talking about the one who sits on the throne in heaven now. Enthroned. 
as sovereign king of the world. You say, why are you telling us that? Just to show you that this isn't the throne it's talking about here. It's a, it's a, it's a different throne it's talking about here. Because he's going to step down from heaven and come down. And he's going to sit on a throne. You say, what throne? An earthly throne. I'm going to argue that there's going to be a throne in Israel. That Jesus is going to sit on and rule over the entire earth for a thousand years. A throne that was promised centuries earlier to David that there will be a king. 2 Samuel 7. That will sit on the throne forever. The throne of David says in Luke 1, 31, it says this, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign forever. That's the throne. I'm going to take you to another couple places. You, you, this, 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 you, you got to follow with me. Turn, turn with me to Zechariah. You say, is there a Zechariah? There's a Zechariah, and if you can't find it, just listen to me. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and that thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I'm going to move down to verse 4. And his feet, this is so good, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Same place he's preaching from this sermon in Matthew 25. Which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst of it. It's going to split in half when his feet hits that mountain. Thereof it will be towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a, a very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it towards the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains. He's going to step his foot down on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split wide open. Let me read to you verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half towards the hinder sea. In the summer and the winter shall it be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. One king over the entire world. I've got one more I want to show you, I think. Isaiah chapter 9. You've heard this verse before. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and his peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's coming back to sit on an earthly throne. So let, let me... Close this point out by saying, and it's right there. He will sit upon the throne of his glory. Jesus will return. He'll put his foot down on the same mountain he's preaching from right there. He will return as conquering divine warrior with a sword in his hand. He's not returning as a lamb, but as a lion. He's not coming to give life. He's coming to take life. Jesus will go to war. He'll go to battle. He'll take down tyrants. He'll take down petty and godless leaders and governments. Jesus' enemies will be defeated. Satan will be bound. He will avenge all the blood of all the martyrs throughout all of history. He's coming back as a conquering divine warrior. 
Society doesn't like this Jesus. They love a pacifist, nice, soft, feminine, sissy, girly Jesus. But we love this Jesus who comes back to make all things right. He came the first time to fight for me. Nobody else was fighting for me. He was David to my sins, Goliath, and I was cowering away. Nobody fighting for me. Who's going to fight this giant? And Jesus came the first time to fight my giant. And he's coming back again to rule and to reign. He's coming back as a warrior to avenge. Jesus will rule over the entire world that rejected him. All by himself. No coexist stickers in those days. He's going to sit on the throne and there will be no Muhammad or Krishna or Buddha or Hinduism or, or any other religious leader. They're all conquered and Jesus reigns. There won't be any political leaders who will put up a fight. No Biden. No Trump. No Pelosi. I can name all of them. I know all of them. There's no election. Jesus is coming back to rule and reign. No leader over Canada shutting down churches. No Marcone in France. No Kim Jong-un in, in North Korea. I mean, just all these leaders, they're going to have to bow the knee and Revelation says He's going to wear crowns upon crowns upon crowns. All the crowns go to Jesus. Jesus will rule with a perfect justice. <laughs> He will sit down on that throne and He will rule the world. Some of you might say, I've never heard this before. I was telling somebody this the other day. Just, just tell them about the end. They said, I've never heard that before. Churches don't preach it. We need to preach the judgment of God, the return of Christ, that our Savior is a, a conquering Savior. He's a divine warrior. He's going to rule with justice. We hear that all the time today. Justice this and justice that. You can't turn on the Super Bowl this evening without there being a, a social justice commercial. I just want to sit back and, and laugh at commercials and, and, and have fun watching the game. And it's going to be social justice, social justice, social justice, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace from people who have no idea what real justice is. You can't cry for justice when you have no morals. When things are upside down. When the things that you say are, are sweet, they say it's bitter. And that's right, they say it's wrong. They have no clue what justice is. You know who defines justice? God defines justice. And Jesus will return and He will bring justice to the entire world. He'll make peace. There'll be no more crime. There'll be no more war. Jesus is coming to fix the world. <laughs> He's our hope. Let's quit putting our hope in some politician fixing the world. They stand up and say, I'll do it. I'll do it. Nobody's ever done it. Jesus will return and make all things right. That's good news. It may alarm some of you if you ain't right with Him. But for us, those are comforting words. Can I read you another passage? Yeah, yeah, yeah I can. Yeah. Talk back to me a little bit. It helps me. Revelation. You need to go to Revelation. You say, Josh, you're making this stuff up. No, I'm not. Revelation 19. Maybe my favorite passage in the entire Bible. I love it. I love the victory He gave me on the cross. I love the victory He'll give me when He comes back. Revelation 19. <laughs> Page is turning. This is the kind of stuff we need to hear. This is, we're, we're, we're not wimpy people. 
We've got a conquering Savior. We need to act like it. Verse 11, Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened. Here's his return. I mean, it's, it's, it's even in my Bible. I've preached this. The victorious return of Christ. <laughs> this stuff goes hand in hand. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. Again, I said he came the first time to save. He comes back the second time to judge. He came the first time to give life and life more abundant. He's coming back the second time to kill. You say, where's that at? Watch this. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were how many? All the crowns of all the world. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Yes. The blood is the blood of his enemies. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. You see, what's the armies in heaven? All the angels. Right. Followed him upon white horses clothed with fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the king over all kings and he's the Lord over all lords. Wow. I'm going to keep reading. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God. And the birds are going to come and eat the flesh of kings. This is bloody. And the flesh of captains. And the flesh of the mighty men. And the flesh of their horses. And of them that sit upon the horses. And the fresh flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. He's coming back to conquer. As a war hero. Verse 19. I'll just read verse 21. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth just put, just, un, just, just fill in the blank. Who are the kings of the earth? The president of the United States, the, the tyrant in Canada, the tyrant in China. Just, just fill in the blank. All the kings of the earth who think they're big and high and mighty today will be conquered one day. They'll bow the knee. You know what they're doing right now? These leaders of, of most of the nations in, in, in the world right now are throwing their fist up at God. And one day they'll bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He said, I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had the, received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. And these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeds out of his mouth. And all the fowls, the birds, were filled with the flesh of all these who were slain. It's a war image. Jesus is coming back to make war. To rule and to reign over this world. So first we saw his return. Then we saw his reign. You can even put rule in there. And third, back to Matthew 25, and I'll close. We just preached one verse. Can you imagine if we did all of them? Verse 32. I want to show you the reckoning. It says in verse 32, and then the next thing, it's next. He comes. He sits on his throne to rule and reign. 
And the first order of business that he's going to do when he sits on his throne is judge. Look what he does. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he's going to judge. He's going to separate them one from another as a shepherd that divides his sheep from the goats. He sits on his throne and now begins to judge. You need to understand this, that Jesus is the final judge of all things. John 5, I've got some verses for you. John 5 says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all the judgment to the Son. God the Father turned over the gavel of judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He now and will forever preside over the Supreme Court of the universe. There's not going to be nine judges on the Supreme Court. There will be one judge on the Supreme Court of the universe, and His name is Jesus Christ. Acts 10.42 says that God, that Jesus is ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. Acts 17, another one of my favorite verses. This is one of those passages you have to preach. Acts 17, God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. How? By that man. Now I want to read that again. Who's God going to judge the world by? There's a fixed day when God will judge the world. And He'll judge the world by that man. Who's that man? Watch this. Whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. Jesus is going to judge the world. 2 Timothy 4, and I'll move on. Paul says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Jesus is the ultimate and final judge of all things in the universe. He stands as king as judge, and as executioner. This is, this is who He is. This stuff isn't getting preached. You need some Christology. You need to know about Jesus in His fullness. Not just a little bitty baby in a manger. I love the baby in a manger. I love the man on the cross who conquered my sin. Who died for my sin. I love the coming Savior who's coming to take over the world. And it says, before that judge, before Him, Standing before Him (laughs) shall be gathered all nations. Spurgeon said of this passage that the crowds will baffle arithmetic. You say, who is this? I know it's a great mass of people. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 24, 7. Uh, Same word that's used in Matthew 24, 9. Hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 14, the same thing. The gospel will go into, uh, unto all nations. And then the end will come. Same word, all nations. Great mass of people, of, 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 of humanity. I'm going to give you an, another verse. You don't have to turn there. I thought it was an interesting passage. Joel chapter 3. Listen to this. Verse 11. It says, Assemble yourselves. And come all ye heathen, gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened, and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats are overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes upon multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. 
Multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes will gather in the valley of decision. And it won't be their decision. We could call it the valley of, of judgment because now Jesus has to make a decision. Your decision's already been made. So you say, who, is, who are these people? I'm going to give you just a... Some people say it's just the Gentiles that were alive at His coming. I'm okay with that. There's going to be three different judgments and this is number two. You have the Bema Seat judgment where believers will be. You have the sheep goat judgment. You have the final judgment. That, that, that's fine. But we do know that there will be a final judgment day for every single one of us. And Jesus will be the judge of that. You say, what's it going to be like? <laughs> Get ready for this. I'm going to give you six truths about this judgment. And then I'll close. You guys have listened so well. I'm going to give you six extra points. <laughs> the bonus today. Six truths about this judgment. It'll be, and it'll go quick. First of all, it's, ines, it's inescapable. Everybody will stand judgment before the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the rich won't be able to pay their way out of it. We live in a culture today where if you've got enough money, you can get out of anything. You can get out of tickets. You can get out of jail. If you're powerful and rich enough, you can get away with any crime you want to get away with. I see rich and powerful people do things, and I thought, if I did that, they'd lock me away and throw away the key. And you know that's true. There's probably rich people that think they're going to stand before Jesus one day and they're going to pull out, a, uh, out some money and they're going to say, I, I need out of this. I, I need you to, to, to not or even take my place so I don't have to get judged here. And, and, and that money that they think that they can get out of anything with, it's inescapable. You will not get out of standing before Jesus Christ. The rich will stand. The poor will stand. The small will stand. And by small, I mean the little common man will stand and the, and the great men will stand. Pilate, Jesus will not stand before Pilate again. Pilate will stand before Jesus. And all these men of, of greatness in our world, and I say greatness like that, get this, they'll all be in line with people like you and me. Yeah. Every one of them. Ain't nobody getting out of it. As sure as you live and breathe and sit here today, you'll stand before Jesus. The mighty and the lowly. It will be an inescapable judgment. Number two, it's going to be precise. He says here that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. You see that? <laughs> Gathered all the nations. He's going to separate. And that, that has to be precise. Because I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I don't know the difference between a sheep and a goat. I, mean, I, I didn't Google it. I mean, that would have been a weird thing to Google. What's the difference between a sheep and a goat? But they say, and, and, and again, I don't know much about it. But they say it's hard to tell. And, then, and that even shepherds in that day, you had to, 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 to know the difference in order to, to be able to separate them. That they like to mingle together and they're around each other. And, and, and you'd have to go at night and you'd have to say, okay, the sheep's going to go over here and the goats are going to go over here. And if somebody like me got up there, it'd be like, all right, let's just, I don't know which is which. Bad. And I don't know what the other one says. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to figure this thing out. But Jesus will be precise and he knows how to separate them. It's like the wheat and the tares. You can tell the difference between a wheat and a tear. <laughs> and it'll be, can you look around the world today, even in churches, and tell who's real and who's fake? I would love to be able to look around the church today and say, fake, real, fake, real. But you, you can't. Jesus will be so precise in the judgment that he'll be able to tell the real from the fake. He'll be able to tell who's the, the hypocrite and who's not. 
We can't tell. People can fool every single one of us, can't they? Won't fool Jesus in the last day. He's going to separate them into two groups. Sheep and goats, lost and saved. Heaven and hell. It'll be revealing. Number three. Look what it says. I mean, I'll get into it next week. But this is going to be a fact-finding judgment. Down to the very smallest details and acts. Look what it says. It says that down to giving water to the thirsty and food to the hungry. I mean, you would think it'd be the big acts, you know, the, the big days. The, that's the, the real good stuff that I did. I preached for you. I did wonderful signs in your name. You know? I did, I did. And he said, but, but let's, let's get down to the little bitty things. Let's, let's get down to the, did you give a cup of water away? Let's get down to, and, and that's where Jesus' judgment is different than ours. We like to look at our best day. On my best day, I still deserve hell. But he's going to look at even the finest details and discover even the thoughts and the tents of our hearts. The imaginations, the, the motives, the desires, the secrets, all laid open before the absolute perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul says he's going to judge the secrets of men. The things that nobody else knows, only you. He'll judge that. And even the things that you forgot you've done will be exposed. It'll be revealing, even surprising. I mean, we see, we've seen that in all these parables where they, they get to stand before the, the judge and they're like, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm surprised. It'll be revealing. Number four, it'll be indisputable. The Bible says, shall the judge of the earth do what's right? You better believe he'll do what's right. Even the guilty will agree with his judgment. When they see the evidence laid in front of them, they're going to say, yeah, you're exactly right. They'll give an amen to it. They'll be speechless. There'll be no argument. The verdict Jesus gives will be right. There's no injustice with God. Indisputable. It'll be severe. He says there, verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. How long is everlasting? And to a place prepared for the devil and his angels. A place prepared for the devil and his demons. It's harsh, severe. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, torment. There's no annihilation. It's going to go on and on and on and on forever. And when you've been there a million years, you'll know that you're nowhere close to it being over. You've just started. You say, well, that's harsh. No, justice will be served. And it will be fair and right. Last one. It'll be final. This is it. There's no appealing to a higher court because there is no higher court. We do that now. You see it all the time. Well, he's, he, he committed murder and he, he's, he's guilty, but he's going to plead to a higher court. And, and, and instead of justice being served swiftly upon those, it just goes on and on and on and on and, and on and on. And they appeal this and they appeal that and they appeal this. And it just goes on forever. But there is no appeal here. It's over. Opportunities lost. No second chances. When that gavel drops, there's no more chances. Your fate is sealed. Your eternity is determined. 
And you'll go one or the other. The way of the sheep into life everlasting. Or the way of the goats into eternal punishment. Only two places. We've seen that in in all these parables. It's always two groups. So everybody in here today is is one of two groups. That's it. Everybody, we we like to divide everybody in our country by all these different distinctions, you know. (laughs) Ultimately, there's only two, saved or not. That's it. And in the final day, it's, it's, it, that's it. Sheep or goats, saved or not, heaven or hell. That's the great day of judgment. We'll look at the criteria next week. How does he judge? We'll spend, the, I mean, hopefully we'll get through the rest of the passage. But this judgment is coming. This judgment is real. And we need to be ready for it. To close... For you here today, for us that are believers, your faith is in Christ. This should be the most comforting thing you ever hear. You say, how, how can judgment be, be comforting? We, because we don't fear this day. I have no fear whatsoever of this day. You say, how can you have no, no fear of this? Because, think about this, and, and if you don't get anything else out of this as a believer today, here's your comfort. That when you are, are standing in, in line to stand before Jesus as the judge, that when the, the door swings open, and I'm just picturing it in my mind, I don't know how that works, but you're in line, and you're, you're in line with all the great and all the, the small, all the rich and all the poor, and, and, and all, the, all the people who's ever lived throughout history, and your time comes, and they open up the door and you get to step in and there's the judge of all humanity. And there sitting on the throne is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you open that door and you see Jesus sitting there, for believers, it'll be the greatest relief in the world. Because the one seated, 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 (laughs) the one seated is the one who died for me. The one seated is the one who loves me more than anyone who has ever lived. The one seated is the one who shed his blood so that I could be saved. Imagine that you're going to be judged and you've done something wrong and you open up the door in the courthouse and there sits your wife. This dad would never send me to jail. I have to do too much around the house. Oh, I'm so glad it's the one who loves me. I'm so glad it's the one who, who's with me every day. I'm so glad it's you. That's how you'll feel as Christians when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm so glad it's you. The one who loved me and died for me and shed his blood for me and has taken care of me and marched over me. Oh, I'm so glad it's Jesus. Nothing to be afraid of. That's our comfort. Oh, He's going to make all things right. I'm not standing before Him on my own righteousness. I'm standing in His righteousness. Oh, it's Jesus. Don't be scared of Him. Be in awe of Him. That He would love a people like us. That He would change our hearts. Die for our sins. That's our judge. Our judge is our Savior. That's good news. Now for unbelievers, you should be trembling. Because when they open that door and you walk in, the judge is the one you've rejected.
The judge is the one that you ignored your entire life. The judge is the one that you took his name in vain. Imagine that. The judge is the one that you trifled with. The judge is the one that you used only when you needed him. You don't want to see that judge. That judge isn't your savior. That ought to terrify you. That ought to make you tremble. That you would stand before the judge who isn't your savior. Ought to make everyone in here who even thinks they might be an unbeliever to run as fast as they can to the savior before he becomes your judge. Spurgeon said this, there's no shelter from an angry God but in the pierced hand of his dear son. I ask you today, beg you today, plead with you today. Run to the pierced hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be able to stand before that judge one day. And your sins will be covered. And they'll be washed away. And when that door opens, you'll be able to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Yes. Is it well with your soul today? Are you sure? If not, run to the pierced hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will stand. The door open now to the Savior. Do you get that? Wide open to the Savior. And you can run to him and be saved today if you put your faith in him. Look unto him and be saved, all ye lands. He'll save you. But do not, and I'll close with this, bet your eternal destiny that there will be no judgment. Because that would be a tragically fatal bet. There will be a great day of judgment and we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the passages that open our eyes to even the hard stuff, the great day of judgment that's coming. And I thank you that you are my Savior that I have no reason to fear the great judgment day. That we as believers put our faith in you, love you, serve you, given our lives to you. There's nothing to fear in that day. And I thank you for the comfort that we have, the hope that we have of our Savior returning and making all things right. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in here, please, who's an unbeliever or has even a, an inkling of doubt, where they would go or which direction they would be sent in that day of judgment. That today you would alarm them, awaken them to the reality of their soul. And that they would put their faith in Christ today. As somebody in this room would say, just, just under their breath, save me. I don't want to stand before judgment like that one day. Save me, please. I believe that you would. I believe that no one who comes to you that you would turn away. So please, God, save someone where they sit today. And again, thank you for the comforting truth of the great judgment day. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.